Hello, and welcome to the Event Safety Podcast. I'm Danielle Hernandez. And I'm Steve Edelman. Hey, Steve, what's up? Um, well, it's winter here in the Northern Hemisphere. And <laughs> it's winter here, too. It was 17 degrees. I live in South Carolina. It was 17 degrees. It's yeah, warmer in Alaska. <laughs> I was walking our dogs yesterday morning, and there's so much black ice where I live in Connecticut that the dogs were slipping. <laughs> you put like those cleat things on the bottoms of your shoes. Anyway, guys, so if you haven't figured it out, we're going to talk about weather and other stuff and weather. And we have the best guest back on the pod, Steve. Steve's holding his dog, guys. That's not the guest. That is a special guest. But that, Steve, introduce our guest for today. Our dear friend, ESA board member and meteorologist of first resort, Dr. Kevin Clazel from <gasps> the University of Oklahoma, at least for a little while longer. And yeah, we're going to talk about weather and not just the climate science, but the event-related ramifications of it. Um and also just how weather fits into the larger context of holding events that, well, that people don't get hurt at. Welcome to the pod. <laughs> Welcome back to the pod. Thrilled, absolutely thrilled and honored to be here. It is a little on the Arctic side here as well. We're awaiting our next couple of day blast of Arctic air. So, you know, it's gonna be odd if we're talking about heat, which needs to be discussed, right? Uh, but really it's, you know, nothing changes because if we're looking at our events currently in the Southern Hemisphere, like the Australian Open is currently occurring, uh, this is an event that has been impacted by heat in dramatic ways uh, to the point of, you know, having to cancel matches and, and things like that during the years, you know, having spectators hauled off, you know, because of heat illness and, and even players, right? So uh, this is a year-round worldwide issue associated with weather <laughs> impacting events. Well, I mean, it, we're recording this uh, in the middle of January, and in the last several days where it's been so cold, we've seen stories about like my old stomping grounds in Buffalo where they brought in fans to shovel out the stadium because they got like a foot and a half of snow. There have been other people that were had cold-related injuries because they were being enthusiastic dumb. Were fans. Dumb. I was trying to I was trying to talk around that. <laughs> Please explain, Steve. <laughs> the, the news today, as of whatever day of the week it is, January 18, is that 15 Kansas City Chiefs or Miami Dolphins fans uh, were hospitalized for various cold-related injuries um, at some point during the Chiefs-Dolphins game, where I think the high temperature was what kept 20 with oh, a windshield no, it, below zero? It wasn't 20. It was in the single digits throughout oh. that game. So yes. that was the fourth coldest NFL playoff game on record. What was the first one? Uh, that's the Cowboys Green yeah. Bay Ice Bowl back in the day. Yeah, the okay. famous Ice Bowl game. Wow. So talking about weather and talking about events in particular – whether or not your weather is going to be cold or hot probably is something you're going to have a sense of, but you've got to have a plan for it. Um, just to remind, you know, because it's been a minute, right? Let's talk about what sort of things you have to plan for. And since heat is a big, big problem, um, what are some things we need to consider when we're talking about if if we're 
we're doing the Australia Open. That's what you said, right? Yes. Okay, delete that part, Jacob. <laughs> we're doing the Australia Open. It's another Marissa. sports ball reference. Danielle stumbles. <laughs> I'm trying so hard. <laughs> Delete all this, Jacob. <laughs> so if you're doing the Australia Open, what are what are some things that you would have considered when you were planning for that? Well, I, I think really the comprehensive nature of, of the threats to our venues across, you know, all of our, our risks. We don't want to discount, you know, the things like active intruder, shooter, et cetera. Those are all very important. But weather is something that is a daily threat. And that daily threat needs to be planned for in a multitude of ways, right? You've got either uh, storms and lightning risk, or if you have an indoor event, it might be a tornado risk where you have to shelter people because most of our big venue indoor arenas are not well prepared for those kinds of things. You know, there's an open span roof. Of course, we had the Georgia Dome hit by a tornado, you know, several years ago in a basketball tournament. So the, the weather portfolio, lightning, hail, wind, you know, if you have temporary structures, stages, those kinds of things, uh, you know, then heat, cold, tornadoes, it, it's it's almost daunting, right? When you think about the number of things that you have to plan for, but the most important piece to this is to make sure that you have meteorological expertise. And if you have meteorological expertise, then you don't have to worry about that part of it. You don't have to worry about, do I have the necessary tools on my phone to look at an app and decide what's going on? If you have meteorological expertise, they can help you plan for what's coming. And typically in the days or weeks leading up to your event, and they can give you some, some sense of what to plan for and what your risks could be. Once you have that information, now it becomes easier because you're, you're more focused right? You're focused on, okay, I, I know that I'm not going to have to worry about snow in July unless I'm in the Southern Hemisphere, right? So these are the, the kinds of things that you really want to have a meteorologist on board as part of your, your staff in the same way that you, you know, you have security people and you have people who, who have the magnetometers and, and folks that are checking bags and clear bag policies. And we have all of these amazing policies that we've put in place and you have expertise, right? to do all of that stuff. Well, the weather is the biggest threat and it is the most likely threat. So where is the expertise that you've solicited for that purpose? Uh, and I think that's where you start, right? You start with getting somebody who is, you know, well-versed in, in meteorological risk and meteorological risk associated with events. And then you can start that planning process because now you've focused in on what that risk is. You know, it's it's interesting. I just um, finished. Uh, we had our our annual conference here called the Upstate Performance Technology Workshop, and we brought in. Uh, it was all about structural engineering for events, um, and we brought in Clark Reader, and it was great. Uh, and a lot of the conversation revolved around weather, <laughs> which you know isn't isn't an automatic assumption when you're talking about engineering, but a lot of times they're talking about how different materials are performed in the weather and about wind load specifically, but also in terms of what things have to be rated for and what building codes call for. And I don't, you know, I'm going sideways a little bit on that, but it was, it was very fascinating how much of that class involved considerations of me meteorological data uh, and how that would impact structures both inside and outside. 
uh, I can tell you that running a building inside, running a building, period, the weather outside affects my operations all the time. Right. You know, uh, being in the South, much like in Texas, some of my gear doesn't like it when it's super cold outside and it will shut down like the power grid did in Texas a few years ago. So it's, it's knowing what your, it's your whole, it depends what you're going to prepare for. Um, I think is pretty great. Danielle, I think one of the things that, that needs to, to potentially be mentioned here is sometimes we shift our focus from risk to risk to risk, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, over the last several years dealing with COVID, and that was also daunting, right? The ability to, to deal with that. But as we've come out of COVID, we had made so much progress from the Indiana State Fair stage collapse leading into COVID on weather. But man, 2023, I have to say, you know, it's a little embarrassing from the meteorological perspective. We took a step backwards, right? You see heat fatalities at Taylor Swift concerts. You see heat issues at a Beyonce concert, which strangely enough had a beautiful lightning evacuation. And that beautiful lightning evacuation got people out of the risk of lightning and then crammed them all together in small spaces with no airflow in intense heat and humidity. And now you have people being transported for heat because of the way you evacuated for lightning. So you have to think your plans through to their conclusion, right? Yes. Where so I was do you thinking put that same to? thing. How do you get them back in? Uh, we had the Red Rocks, you know, hailstorm, and it was like, oh, well, I don't have any place to put these people. Oh, well, it's not going to be so bad. So we can leave them kind of around the area. And then they get all pelted and you have over 100 injuries in hail. So we need to think these weather plans, not just on the front end. So we're preparing for heat or we're preparing for lightning, but you have to prepare all the way through. And we didn't do a good job of that in 2023. There are way too many injuries and fatalities at our events in 2023 due to weather. And we've got to put a stop to that. You You know, know, I was was noticing how the plans, um, you need to not just consider your weather plan and your evacuation plan, but you need to think about how your security plans fit into that because of people not allowing water bottles in. And then you have to somehow provide water in the intense heat because that was right. seemed to be a contributing factor. And I was like, that is something else to add to your, you know, what what's your security policy, how that's impacting other things. Right. And and I think you have to make sure that when you are building in that capability, like at the University of Oklahoma at our football games, we have these huge water monsters that our fans can go to. They can bring in empties that satisfies the safety and security, but they can refill them inside for free without having to buy bottled water over and over. But the one thing you want to make sure is you put those in one locations that matter because there are places in our stadium that are get hotter than everywhere else. So you don't necessarily want to do those equitably if you know that the people that are sitting in the shade aren't going to need as much water. You don't want to make our sunshine side of the stadium walk all the way around <laughs> right, to find water. Please water. Matters. Yeah. And then you have to make sure that you know people are going to queue for those things. And so you don't want them to be queuing into your evacuation spaces should you need your evacuation spaces because you've got a storm that popped up. So you you really need to think through all of those things that can happen. Uh, Where are you putting them? Is it a strategic way of, of deploying those kinds of resources? 
and not only then think strategically, but think tactically, right? Okay, now how am I going to implement this and, and who's going to be in charge? How am I going to monitor it? How do I know when the water is getting low? So I need to either bring more ice or more this, you know, whatever it is. Uh, all the way to where we put our bicycle medics, right? You know, if we've got medics that are on staff for our games, are we deploying them appropriately to where we know the risk will be? And that comes in understanding your venue, right? Where do places get really hot? We talked about this at Event Safety Summit, right? No two event locations are created equal. No two venues are created equal. You have to know your place you know, as well as anything and know where it gets hot, know where it doesn't, know where there's airflow so that you can utilize, again, both strategically and tactically, the right plan and the right thing to do in those situations, which is, you know, taking advantage of meteorological expertise, right? I keep harping on it and it sounds self-serving because I am a meteorologist, but <laughs> at the same time, you know, I would guess that law enforcement would say, hey, if you need security, get a law enforcement person because they know what to do in these situations. And I would say the exact same thing for the meteorologist. Something that you said a couple of minutes ago really resonated with me because of a conversation I had earlier this morning about tabletop exercises. So a point that you made is knowing what the weather is, is an essential piece, but it is a piece of having a response to the weather. So getting people out of harm's way is good, but you have to put them someplace that's safe enough for them to spend some time there. This is with the scenario that you described, the Beyonce show where they got people out of the weather, but then put them in a concourse where there was, you know, severe overheating. That's like a tabletop exercise where they forgot the second half of the exercise. So they nailed having the meteorological information and didn't think through what do you do with all the people afterwards. Right. And I think about this, so here's the context part that I teased at the top of the broadcast. I think about this in the larger context of evacuation or evacuation, which is, I think, equally appropriate. To me, weather is the best thing to talk about when you're talking about an evacuation or evacuation scenario because it's the most common so you're most likely to use it exactly if you frame it as weather and it's not terrifying the way other evacuation or evacuation scenarios often are hearkening back to another part of our conversation about active shooters you don't like talking about active shooter training and i never feel like you have to because an evacuation is an evacuation is an evacuation. I would rather just play out the scenario the way you described it. Start with weather, get that part right, because you've got a professional meteorologist, and then carry it through to what do you do with the people afterwards. Right. And, and you know, Steve, I, I got to say thanks publicly because you've been a great guest in my class here at the University of Oklahoma that talks about these issues. Uh, and some of them are about, you know, 
what do you do with people, right? Do you can, do you send them to their cars, but there's a heavy rainstorm and now it's a you-know-what show in the parking lot because everybody's flooded and you just sent them into the floodwaters because of the way you decided to, to make your evacuation decision. Again, thinking it through to its culmination, its safe end, uh, and doing that via tabletops, completely agree, right? That is a tried-and-true emergency management technique of allowing people that are not under duress to make decisions ahead of time that can then be documented so that when the event occurs, you're not all sitting around a table going, okay, what do we do, right? That tabletop is no bueno, right? You cannot have a situation where you're making decisions on the fly that you haven't already thought through ahead of time. And so, yes, those those preseason types of tabletops are absolutely invaluable. I will say, Steve, though, a lot of times people come to safety thinking in a variety of ways. And I think many people find active shooter terrifying to consider in their situation. And, and I, I 100% agree. Training on active shooter is not the best way to train evacuation because it, it's terrifying, frankly. In, in your, your, you've got factors that you absolutely are difficult to control. But I do think there's an opportunity there. You know, it's like, Kevin, you were talking about how we've lost ground in some of this stuff in the last couple of years because we were focused on COVID. And it's like, it's sort of active shooter can sometimes be a gateway. It's it's where we can start the conversation. It's like, yeah, we we could talk about that, but we should also consider planning evacuations for weather and sheltering in place for tornado and all right. these other scenarios. And, and, and I think it's, it's a, it's a thing for us to recognize that it, it frightens people and they're looking for answers. And then we introduce them to a whole bunch more questions. We're like, the elephant is so big. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and, you know, Danielle, something that, that you just said struck, struck a nerve here too, because we have this same issue even with weather drills, right? We've, we do active shooter drills, and yes, those are terrifying. But for some on our campus, we have to do tornado drills because of where we live. And they're fairly frequent, and we try to make them as real as possible. But we also understand that when we're trying to make them real, we're trying to use the exact same methodology that we would notify those folks about tornadoes and do so in a drill setting. So we have to be really careful because if if just one person doesn't get the word, right, that it was a drill, and that was the person whose house was destroyed in a tornado back in 2013, now we have people on our campus that we've just absolutely petrified in a PTSD way because, man, if you're going to do tabletops and drills and things like that, you got to find great ways to communicate that and you you never communicate enough, right? If you think you've communicated enough, you haven't. Do more, right? And if you if it's overkill, then maybe you're starting to get to the appropriate level if you think it's overkill. Uh, but yeah, I mean it's it's that way with any emergency situation, you run the risk of of that being terrifying, right? And it's not just shooter, it's weather in some places. And and so it's something that you have to have great relationships with your staff great relationships with your patrons. Uh, I've often said here at OU, I said, you know, today would be a great day to pull a lightning drill. 
And let's do it in the third quarter of an Oklahoma-Oklahoma State rivalry bedlam game. And of course, the athletics people look at me like, what is wrong with you, right? There is no way... And I'm like, but how could be, I mean, this would be the perfect, what could be better? Yeah. (laughs) And they're like, yeah, no, find a different way to do it. So you do have to be clever and you do have to to find ways of, of trying to make things as realistic as possible, but you also can't pull this stunt in the middle of a concert, right? Um, And, and we know that, and that's not what we're saying here. We're not telling you to, you know, to do that, but Finding those tabletop opportunities that you can you can work your way through scenarios when you're not under stress is just the best way to do it. Yeah, and to be clear, I'm not saying don't do active shooter drills. Again, I had a conversation oh, just no, no, this no. morning about tabletops. I wasn't tabletops. meaning to yeah, imply yeah. that. <laughs> and I, you know, as I said to them, grudgingly agreed. They wanted to do an active shooter response tabletop. And I said, okay, we'll, we'll do that. Um, and I explained to them why I don't favor that and why I think the same knowledge can be acquired in less terrifying ways that are at least as actionable. And that's really where I'm going with this. I just want to do things that are actionable. And I like the idea of weather planning because it's actionable and you're going to use it. You right. are. Yeah. You know, yeah. it, it back to flight attendants, it's why flight attendants get trained and, and have the training reiterated so often to do the basic things that, you know, they may never need, but if they do, they need it. Yeah. And if you're going to fly a 737 Max 9, Max 9. you absolutely <laughs> need it. <laughs> the three-door convertible? Yes. <laughs> so, and, and Steve, you're absolutely right. Because, you know, when you look at venues around the country, I dare you to find me a venue that's not been weather impacted in some way, shape or form. Now, maybe it wasn't in 2023, but I guarantee you in the past three to five years, you've had every venue in this country, probably worldwide, impacted in some way, shape or form by weather. Yes, 100 percent. And in all different ways. And and, I'm looking out the window at the snow covered hill that I live on, even if it's not actively snowing because i'm in connecticut school still gets canceled if the teachers and other staff can't get there safely the building is fine but the weather has impacted the activity that will take place there daniel that's your reality isn't it it's a hundred percent my reality and and here's one that came out of the class around here they don't necessarily build roofs and consider and worry about a snow load but in buildings where they do rigging they need to know if there's snow on the roof, and that depends on what you could hang off of it. So if you're you're in a bus and truck rock and roll and your normal hang weighs X, but there's snow on the roof, you may not be allowed to hang at all. Or they may have to go up and clear the roof before they let you hang your show. And that well, is weather in the winter. Right. <laughs> and we have, we have closures on Tuesday of this week, a couple of days ago, across public schools, even across the University of Oklahoma, and the roads were fine. Mm-hmm. However, our temperature was zero and our wind chills were below minus 20. And so you can't really have your students out at the parking lot at the bus stops waiting to shuttle to campus, whether that's a public school or even a university, 
because there's no way to guarantee that all of our students, whether they be K-12 or, or University of Oklahoma, are adequately prepared in terms of covering themselves from head to toe in multiple layers to stand out at a bus stop for 30 minutes, which is dangerous in those wind chills. And as we saw at the Kansas City game, right, people who decided not to clothe appropriately wound up in the hospital. And we can't have that, you know, on the first day of classes, it, right. you know, for us, it was. Uh, and we no, can't. Teenager, teenagers yeah. are known for making wise decisions. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, it, you know, sometimes it's not even the decisions. It's the it's the availability of resources given the That's situation true. that the student finds themselves in. And not everybody is in the same boat as it pertains to, oh, well, you know, because I go skiing every year, I have all these wonderful, amazing clothes that I can wear. You know, we may have somebody from South Texas who, or our international students from Nigeria and, and other places who've never owned a coat in their life, right? Because right. they've needed to. Right. That's the other thing is the norms of I don't normally need a coat, so I'm just going to wear a bigger hoodie. And right. that's the same when it's 10 degrees outside. And you have to assume these norms when you're doing weather evacuations, because in most cases, your patrons have never made, even though your venue has had weather, in many instances, your patrons have never participated in a weather evacuation. Yeah. My son owns a coat and didn't wear one to school this morning. <laughs> I... I ended up driving him and I'm going to go pick him up because I'm like, why don't you have a coat? He, he owns it more than one. Anyway. So, so we don't have to call child protective services, Danielle. Not about that. <laughs> uh, he's, so he's, Steve, let me, let me ask you, let me sidetrack this and ask you a question. Uh, you know, one of the things as, as someone who's been through the, the cardiac ringer, uh, you know, I have this this set of guidelines that I that I'm given by my medical staff. And of course, one of those is, man, you know, shoveling snow may not be the best idea because of the number of heart attacks and the stress it puts on your heart of shoveling snow. And here in a weather situation, the Buffalo Bills are telling their fans to come shovel snow. That sounds like maybe a great idea that you've got your fans volunteering and, oh boy, look how hardy they are. But in the end, does that necessarily mean that the venue wasn't prepared for weather and didn't have a good plan for removing the snow if they're relying on potentially putting fans in harm's way? And do those people who show up, do they have to sign a waiver that says, hey, I'm not, you know, responsible. The Buffalo Bills are not responsible if you keel over due to a heart attack on Section 6, Row 8. That's actually where I thought you were going was, this is you know. Fine print on the back Yeah, of exactly. <laughs> you know, is there like Bills Mafia logo waiver of liability forms? Uh, so I don't know. And I. Don't know anyone in the Bills organization. So podcast listeners, if you're in the Bills organization, contact me because I'm <laughs> curious about this. But I would expect, number one, that there is a waiver of liability for all the volunteer snow shovelers. Um, so that's issue number one for me. Issue number two for me is the one that you raised first, Kev, which is how is it the Bills organization has to re rely on volunteer snow shovelers or... My guess is they don't have to, they want to. It's a community building thing for them. 
And that that is my sense of it. And there are two reasons for that based on video that I've seen. One is it's fun. Um, you know, the three of us before we went live, we're talking about the image that we all saw of a large bellied young man going down a snowshoe bare chested. Um, that looked like fun for him. Um, and also it's a form of, you know, this is our house and not yours because they didn't shovel the Steelers visiting fan sections. They had to trudge through full snow in order to get to their seats, which they then had to find. So, Steve, this brings up an interesting point about weather planning and weather safety planning is you have to understand your audience, right? You have to know who you're dealing with because, for example, for us, a football game evacuation and a graduation crowd you know, evacuation, those are two entirely different clientele. Same stadium, same logistics in the stadium, but our plans are dramatically different because we've got, you know, a lot of elderly and limited mobility who come to see their, you know, great grandchild or grandchild graduate versus a little bit more of a younger, more spry crowd of full of students for a football game. Uh, we have to think about weather evacuation differently, even though it's the same venue. And so if your weather plans aren't somewhat customized to who is coming in addition to the weather risks and the evacuation and things like that, then you're still missing the boat. So you have to not think about venue plans. You have to think about event plans, right? And this concert is different than that one is different than football is different than graduation and so on. Yeah. So podcast listeners, just to reintroduce our fabulous guest, it's Dr. Kevin Clazel, <laughs> our favorite meteorologist. Absolute um, favorite. <laughs> and, and no disrespect to other brilliant meteorologists, but well, we do have a favorite. This is not Sophie's choice. Um, <laughs> so yeah, and have the point that you're making is so important for all event planning. You know, it's not the building that determines the risk profile. It's the building and the demographic of the crowd occupying the building and the nature of the event and what the event is likely to cause those people to do, want to do, think about doing, be ignorant of thinking about doing. It's all of that. And the production elements and what's involved in, in the experience of the staff that's putting it in and the local crew if they slept the night before and what the truck drivers are doing. And, you know, it's it's as as we said a couple of times, it's a little bit overwhelming to think about all those things in a line but if you tackle them you know as you go it's it's actually i wouldn't say manageable but somewhat manageable well and it has to be managed yes it has and, to be managed you can't just glide through it <laughs> right and you know this is a conversation that i have fairly often with people who operate venues you know i've i've had this scenario a couple of times with indoor arenas where literally in consecutive nights, they have a hockey game and then a concert. And the staff deployment cannot be the same because the crowd's different. You know, everything about the crowds are different, except that they're both going to consume some kind of substances that tend to reduce their awareness of what's going on around them and often makes them a bit more aggressive and less willing to listen to authority. In all other respects, not, it's as if they're different buildings. 
And this can go even so far as the kinds of concessions you choose, right? I mean, there we we even think about that, right? If it's going to be a cold game, we've got different things that we hope help make our fans more comfortable. Same with hot games, right? Do we have choices that they can make that might be better? Now, can we force them to make those choices? No, not completely, but we can certainly guide them based upon what we're offering and what we don't offer, right, in, in those situations. So, again, it's in, it's across the entirety of the enterprise, and that's, I think, where we're here at the University of Oklahoma. We've, we've gotten a lot better because when we have our game security operations meetings, everybody's there, right? The people who are in charge of the ushers, the ticket takers, the, you know, the people in charge of fan sections and, and concessions and the team and coaches and the band and the, the cheerleaders and, you know, weather and all of those, you know, law enforcement, you name it. Uh, all of us are in the same room. We don't do this in a vacuum, right? So we're not doing weather planning, just the weather guy, uh, and then trying to, to make everybody do it. We do it collectively. Every entity in the enterprise is represented when we do those tabletops and when we do those plans. And that's really important because sometimes you get so siloed um, and maybe you have volunteer staff or or something like that. Well, you need to solicit them and engage them, right? Train them. You know, they need to know what to do as well. And so it's, it's you know, we, we use the word daunting, overwhelming. But again, not if you do it in, not if it becomes part of the way you do things, right? It may be daunting if you don't do it now and you need to right. start, but you'll get there, right? You'll get to a point where it becomes second nature, Safety I, is a journey. It's, oh, it is a journey. And you never get there. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a question for you, and I don't know if this is within the scope of what you do, but I imagine you've seen it. So the question is about messaging a crowd about the incoming weather. And I've had conversations where people weigh in differently. Do you have an opinion? How much information should the public messaging contain about what the weather threat is? We try to be very brief and very direct, which is, uh, you know, we have, we try to socialize through various channels that we, we do look at this, right? We have experts who are looking at this on your behalf. So you don't have to, because as you know, everybody is an amateur meteorologist, right? Everybody has an app. There are some venues who will choose to put the radar screen up on their scoreboard, for example, their video board, because they feel like, well, that is going to hit home the threat, right? They'll see the pretty colors and they'll then take action because they see the pretty colors. We've decided not to do that because we feel like we're encouraging the fans to be their own meteorologists and say, oh, I see that up there, but that's going to miss, so I don't have to do anything. And we know they're going to look at their apps anyway. So we try to be very direct and very forceful in our language, which is you are in danger. This is where you go, right? We have dangerous weather in the area It's or dangerous weather approaching or, or whatever we use in sort of the sequential as it approaches and when it arrives. We try to give a timing. You know, we expect dangerous conditions to be at the venue in 20 minutes uh, or whatever the case may be. But we don't really ever put up a radar screen and kind of let people also be their own meteorologists, although that's there's, there's a lot of discussion about what they're writing, you know, and we don't 
don't really look at it as right and wrong, but what's the appropriate way to get the action you seek? And we think about it more in terms of education, right? We will educate through the Sooner Sooner Vision, through Sooner Sports Radio Network, uh, which I appear on Sooner Sports Radio Network now every game day. And I'm like, who knew, right, that I could do sports radio <laughs> on a game day, uh, which is great, fun, but kind of gives me the opportunity to talk to a whole bunch of people and tell them what we're expecting and when and what we might have to do, right? It's a, it's now a captive audience who's listening to the radio network and, and kind of understanding that. So we've chosen, you know, social media slash video board slash radio network, but with directed information of what to do and when without all the pretty colors and, and things like that. So, so I have a question. You know, earlier you said we were talking about communication. This is an example, obviously an example where you have a bunch of resources and a bunch of different avenues. Even with all of those resources, is there are there groups that are harder to reach? Yes, our students. The students are the hardest to reach? <laughs> yes, because they will be the ones who are outside in the cold with their shirts off or trying to stay in the stadium and chanting, hell no, we won't go when we want an evacuation. Uh, the students are the most difficult, uh, and we've just got to continue to work on that, right? I mean, that's yeah. <laughs> that particular demographic has made its own decision that they are going to, they equate staying with the level of their fandom. Mm -hmm. And so if they sit their butts and don't evacuate, they are in their brains saying, I'm a better fan than all you people who left. When in fact, there is nothing to watch while they're sitting there, right? So they're not cheering, they're not, and I'm. that's what I'm trying to tell my own students. It's like, okay, how many times did you cheer your team on while you were there? Your team wasn't <laughs> even there. They took shelter. Don't you think that there was a reason why they took shelter and maybe you should too, right? You know, use the examples that you're seeing around you, uh, you know, but it again, it, it's always fun because I, I give my students so much grief over it uh, and I will continue to do so as long as their behavior is terrible. Yeah. And I wonder, like, identifying who that group is for if for each of your events is who's going to be the group that is the hardest to communicate with. And if you aim for them, then you're going to get everybody else. Right. And we do get everybody <laughs> else, but the students, I will say this, you know, once the weather arrives and it gets miserable, then they evacuate then they and they self evacuate <laughs> because of the conditions, not because we warned them of the impending conditions. And so they do end up leaving, but at the same time, we would have liked for them to have left a little bit earlier. I just yeah. threw all you students under the bus on a podcast. That's yeah, awesome. no, uh, <laughs> it, it's all students. We we had someone we have, from Cornell University here yeah. a couple of months ago. Same issue. Same yeah. same issue. Oh, At that point, they're talking about burying kegs in the in the hill. So you know, <laughs> yes, <laughs> almost a rite of passage, I guess. Yep. Um. I'm going to make a housekeeping plug at this moment, and then I think we'll transition because my little dog is starting to whine. She wants lunch. Um, this is a reminder to you, podcast listeners. Um, if you like the Event Safety Podcast, and I hope that you do, you've been listening for a while now, um, 
please go onto your social media and say something to the effect of, I like this podcast. You should listen to it. Um, you can like it in your app. You can recommend it to friends. All these analytics are important to us. And, um, well, we'd really appreciate it if you would say something to the effect of, this is good and it's valuable to me. So please do that um, on behalf of the Event Safety Podcast. Thank you very much. <laughs> Cue the, the interlude music. Yeah. And we're back. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, a little bird told me that uh, you were working on some guidance uh, about lightning. Yes. Uh, so would you like to talk about that? Plug it, plug it. Absolutely. Uh, you know, one of the things, again, I, I feel like we've taken a step back on the weather side. I don't know whether that's COVID or whether we've just sort of feel like we know all of it or whatever, but there is a group of really, really smart people uh, at the National Center for Spectator Sports Safety and Security, uh, NCS4. And that group uh, has been looking at the uh, professional college and high school athletics primarily landscape of, of venues. Uh, they also uh, have a program that they do for marathons. And those four pillars uh, are still noticing that we're still making some of the same mistakes as, as you know, regards lightning. And so what NCS4 has done is they have pulled experts from their own house at NCS4, from the Event Safety Alliance, from the National Lightning Safety Council, from the National Weather Service, uh, from the private meteorological world, uh, from the homeland security world, uh, and then the venue world. So we've got Major League Baseball represented, and and you know professional tennis, and and professional football, and and all of these you know major sports organizations that are going to come together, and we are in the process of writing a book, uh, literally a, a book of what to do with lightning, lightning safety, lightning evacuation, what are some of the myths associated with these pieces, uh, you know, how to, to look at lightning protection, right? There's a, this growing industry of lightning protection and lightning rods and, and things like that. We've had many of our own events, you know, asking us about this issue. We're going to try and address every single one of these pieces kind of in an ESA event safety guide format, but focused entirely on the lightning issue. Um, all the way through to what happens if you get a lightning strike and you have people who are struck, right? What are the medical considerations that, that happen? So as we mentioned earlier on the podcast, thinking it through from start to finish, right? We can't prevent lightning strikes. We can do the best we can and, you know, sort of to find reasonable shelter and things like that. We'll also have a piece in there on uh, resources, right? If you're a, you know, a big venue versus if you're like a little league group uh, and what to do at your little league park and, and things like that. So we're hoping to have kind of the first of its kind comprehensive guide on lightning, what it is, how it works lightning safety, why it is that we need to, to think about lightning as a, as a safety risk all the way through to, you know, how you do evacuations. And of course, thinking like we mentioned earlier with Beyonce, how you plan your evacuation and what do your evacuation spaces, what do those need to look like? Uh, how to prevent cascading disasters in your lightning shelter areas? 
with crowd management issues and, and things like that. So it, it's a great group of people. I love working with this group. Uh, we just got started. Uh, we've already busted out an outline and some chapter pieces and, and we've already started writing. So I'm hopeful that sometime in 2024, this guide, uh, which will be, you know, jointly, you know, supported ESA, NCS4, uh, all of the safety organ IAVM, right? All of the safety groups that are out there will have a hand in this so that we can come to some consensus on what we should be doing with lightning. I think that's yeah. fantastic. <laughs> and the fact that it has league and team buy-in, I think is going to really help disseminate the information and make it make it industry consensus pretty quickly. Yeah, that's the hope. And again, when I personally, right, this is, and, and I don't mean to disrespect my colleagues now in Major League Baseball, I have always been on their case because I feel like they do the worst job because they don't think it through. Right. You mean umpires shouldn't be meteorologists? Yes, correct. Yeah, we got to change the rule book. And hopefully this this document can help that. Uh, but also when those decisions are made, you don't think about the grounds crew, right? You're making an evacuation decision and while at the same time sending people out into harm's way. That's not good, right? You know, you just you have to think it all the way through, like we've said on this podcast, to its conclusion. And that means having the field prepped for competition integrity and the people who do that off in time to be safe, just like you would do with fans, players, et cetera. Right. Kevin, the crew's I, not expendable. Yeah, right. I, I have long, you know, as a baseball fan, I've long laughed about the grounds crew scurrying around, putting the tarp on the field as lightning and thunder is happening and people are rushing up onto the concourse. Meanwhile, these poor schmucks have a job to do. Right. It's going to take somebody getting struck by lightning on the grounds crew to change that, I fear. And that's what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to change it before that happens. And again, to have somebody from Major League Baseball on this team uh, is absolute greatness because again, my own personal take is that they're the biggest offender right now. And and because of that, it seeps down into the collegiate baseball realm, the high school baseball realm, the tennis realm, because again, you've got people, if it's a grass court, like a Wimbledon or something like that, you've got to have people who come out and make sure that the, the court is prepared for play once the weather risk ends and you're sending those people. So we have folks from the US, uh, US Tennis Association and the US Open uh, also on the team. So it again, it is an all star team of professional sports leagues and meteorology folks and, and across private public crowd management experts, you name it, legal experts, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, and, you know, ESA is well represented on the, on the, on the team. That's fantastic. All right. So my turn to do a little bit of housekeeping. If you'd like to email us, our email address is podcast at eventsafetyalliance.org. Love to hear from you. See you on social media. Feel free to check in with us there. Um, we will be appearing at USATT in March. Watch this space because sometime soon we'll be announcing our weather summit where we will dive into this uh, even more. So that's exciting to look forward to as well. Uh, any final thoughts as we close up? I appreciate the opportunity to be here and visit. Uh, again, weather planning, 
it's it's got to take place and it has to take place in conjunction with professional meteorological assistance we've got too many things going on with climate change with excessive heat with you know different weather patterns in different places that people aren't accustomed to uh, these are all things that have to be considered and they need to be considered well in advance not on the day of that's fantastic thank you we're so grateful you joined us don't worry we're going to have you back again you're one of my favorite guests <laughs> All right. Be well, everyone, and stay safe.